Good morning, LCF. If you're not yet sitting down, would you? Got a lot of folks in here this morning. I don't know what this means when it's your day in the barrel and half the lights go out, but uh, <laughs> there may be something ominous about that. You're actually lucky, first service, they all went out for a while. We survived it. Come on in. Wichita, Kansas, August 1965. We've got a Wichita person over here. <clears throat> 1965. Bruce Dawson turns 18 and is eligible to consume fairly tame 3.2% cereal malt beverages from Colorado per Kansas law. It never dawned on the state legislature in Kansas that we would just buy two. You know, I, they never figured that out, I guess. Anyway, Bruce and his two best friends did just that, consuming at least two, maybe three pitchers of something awful called red. Red was a mixture of some tomato juice and mostly 3.2% cereal malt beverages. The red went down badly. And after my friend Bill drove us, probably DUI, to his house, the red came up very badly in the driveway. It was so bad that I have been an unable to consume another cereal malt beverage for over 52 years. I can't even think about it. I don't know if that was an usher or an usher wannabe. Some of you are saying, you poor man, how did you live all that time without that? Well, actually, it was a blessing in disguise, given a family history of alcoholism on the maternal side. Now, very recently, one of our daughters suggested something called pear ale on my birthday. It's made by Gopher or somebody like that. And it has about the same amount of alcohol as cottage cheese. Right? It was good. I mean, it's a family-owned business, originally handmade in Vermont, very good quality, and it actually tasted like pears, of all things. It's a birthday tradition now. Well, <clears throat> this year, Connie could not find it anywhere. She did find, you've never seen this before, a cider beverage made by the same company. The label said hard cider which I assume stood for Handmade Apple Red Delicious. It does not mean that. It means 5%, which is 1.8% over 3.2% in Kansas, all right? I told Connie, don't be bringing my juice home in those little square boxes anymore. I want this juice, woman. I think you know by now I'm messing with you on this, but I have a reason for doing it. There's an analogy in here that is very important before we start reading the letters of Paul. We've actually already started. But we're going to be reading this week Acts 16 through Acts 28. There is a lot of amazing historical information in there 
about Paul, the great apostle, and, and other apostles. But if you read certain authors on Amazon, you are going to read a lot of criticism of the apostle Paul. And the criticism is that he is culturally irrelevant. Like when has the culture ever been right in the history of the world? But they say he is culturally irrelevant. Now some of the flavor is there in those books. You might even feel good for a while. But it isn't even close to the real apple. Okay? If you're going to be critical of the gospel that Paul preached to the nations, and he took the church to the nations, that is actually the, the title in your booklet, the gospel that contains the most important thing, and we're going to get there in a minute, then you'd better have the same credibility that Paul had by the end of Acts. Well, let's see. Let's just see. I went to the web and printed off three of these best-selling, most well-known authors and teachers and their beliefs and a little bit of their bio, printing them off. I've got them here. Let's just see if they have the same cred that Paul had. All right, Paul was a highly educated Pharisee. He studied under the rabbi Gamaliel. Now, if you studied under a rabbi like Gamaliel in Jerusalem, you wound up, A, with an Old Testament doctorate, the equivalent of, as Gamaliel was one of those individuals in Jerusalem who had memorized the Old Testament word by word. That's a lot of begats. I cannot imagine a guy being able to rehearse and speak to you the entire Old Testament. But those guys could. Paul, Paul was not only studied in Hebrew, he was Hebrew. He was also a Roman citizen because he was born in Tarsus. He also spoke Greek, Latin, and Aramaic, the language of Jesus. This guy was as educated for the time as you can get. Now, we got a map here of uh, some of the places Paul went. And just note here where Damascus is down here, lower right-hand corner. That's where he has this experience we're going to talk about in a minute, where he sees and hears Jesus. And then up there, Tarsus is highlighted. That's, he's from Tarsus. We're going to talk about something that happens in Lystra, on up to Troas, and then down to Corinth. Okay, just to give you an idea where those places are on the map. Let's rewind back to, back to Acts 9. Bob did a great job on this when he was up here a few weeks ago. It says in the book, while breathing out threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now this is, he was called Saul then because that was his name in Jerusalem. He's breathing out threats and trying to literally murder the saints of the Most High God. The people of, and they called them the people of the way. All right? 
So Saul obtains letters of authority from the high priest through the Sanhedrin and carries those on the way to Damascus. He is going to capture Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem, throw them into prison. They will probably either die there or be executed. Saul is literally a killer for God. Literally. On the road to Damascus, and you know this part of the story, he's suddenly blinded by this flash of light. He hears the words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He's blinded, taken to Damascus. Ananias heals him there, and the word says he is then a chosen instrument for the Lord. And later on it says something you and I are not very familiar with, and that is he is filled with the Holy Spirit all the way up. Not 10% like us, or whatever percent it is. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the only way he is going to endure what is going to happen in his life. Okay. Next thing. Paul goes out into the wilderness of Arabia for three years. He disappears. That's not necessarily recorded in Acts, but he disappears for three years. And he says, <coughs> excuse me, in Galatians, he says in Galatians, he said, I neither received it, meaning the gospel, from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now get this picture in your head. He is in the wilderness. He is receiving directly from Jesus the principles of the gospel. Because he did not know them. He has a doctorate in the Old Testament. But after three years, he has a doctorate in New Testament also. Okay? I was thinking about that. I said, you know what? I bet he never cut class. Man, I wouldn't. <laughs> That'd not be a good idea. So he took the gospel to the nations as no one else could. He was prepared like no one else in history to do what he did. And by the way, church, there's a great hope in here. I hope I can tell you. I don't know whatever sins we all hauled in here today. But it wasn't persecuting Christians to death. Don't ever say God can't use you with your baggage. I've heard that many times. Yes, he can. And yes, he does. Paul's proof. All right. We go back to Acts 14. It says, In the city of Iconium, Paul and Barnabas received signs and wonders from the Lord. These guys are doing miracles, folks. They are receiving signs and wonders. They are being confirmed in God's approval. And here's another thing. He goes to Lystra, and he heals a lame man in front of a whole bunch of people. The guy's been lame for probably from birth. Heals him. The next thing that happens is jealous Jews show up, form a mob, and they stone Paul. I think to death. They drag Paul's dead body out of Lystra because big chunks of rock will kill you. Dragged his dead body out of Lystra and left him out there. 
I've actually heard people say, well, he was probably, you know, the next thing happens is he gets up. But they'll say, well, you know, he was probably just stunned. You don't get it. This weighs almost two pounds. Stoning was not punishment. It was execution for blasphemy. They felt like they had every right to do this. The first two or three of these knock you out. You're laying face down on the ground. Way hard with this right in your face to your head. Think about 24 of those. You are unrecognizable at the end of stoning. I don't want to hear that he wasn't dead. He was dead. They knew dead. He knew very well what was dead and what wasn't. It's not like you called EMTs to tell you who was dead. Paul was dead, in my opinion. Well, you know what? A miracle happens. He gets up in front of the astonished apostles. I would have been astonished too. And walks back into Lystra. I always wondered, was one of the mob guys right inside the gate going, uh, wasn't that the guy? Walks in there. I think he was raised from the dead. Acts 16, Paul and Silas. This slave girl starts following them around. She's a fortune teller. She's demon-possessed. Paul knows that. Pretty soon he gets so irritated with her, he turns around and casts the demon out. But the slave girl was a fortune teller. She made big money for her owners. And they suddenly realize their source of income is gone. So they form a mob, and they have... You know, Paul and Silas thrown into prison and their feet put in stocks, meaning you can't move. Think about that. And it says Paul and Silas were singing and praying out loud at midnight. Probably all the other prisoners are listening and suddenly a great earthquake blows the doors off of the prison. And everybody's chains fall off. And the jailer draws his sword, he's going to kill himself. Paul says, do not harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer takes them to his house, binds up their wounds, and the jailer and his whole family are baptized into the church. Acts 18 at Corinth, Paul began preaching to the Gentiles only, and Bob brought this up. That means non-Jews. Okay, The Jews are not accepting the message of the way. The Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. And when you hear this, I want you to understand this is a direct encounter between Paul and Jesus. It's a vision. Jesus is speaking directly to him. Jesus says, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. That Old Testament phrase, I am, I am with you. Acts 20, that Troas Paul's preaching late into the night. Now, you talk about a guy that could roll on you. He could preach hours and hours, and apparently did. They get late into the night, and there's a young guy up in the window of this house, third, third floor. And it wasn't like windows we have today. There's no frame, no glass, no shutters. It's just a square hole in a stone building. Eutychus falls asleep, probably falls backward, if he fell backward, he fell on his neck and broke his neck. He was dead. You hear people say, well, you know, he was just stunned. No, he wasn't. <laughs> what? 
He was dead. People knew dead back then. Paul goes down, he embraces him in the name of Jesus, and he literally raises him up from the dead. And his life is in him, he says. And they carry this young guy away, alive. Acts 23 says, The Lord stood at his side. This was at the Roman barracks in Jerusalem. Those of us that were on the Israel team a few years ago, we have stood on the place where that happened. In Rome and barracks in Jerusalem, and the Lord says, Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him. He prophesies to him that he is going to Rome. He instructs him, Direct from the Lord to him. Do you know anybody that that's happened to? It may have. I don't know anybody that it's happened to. Paul spent over five years in hellhole prisons like this one. This is the Mamertine prison in Rome. This is the last one he was in. They would lower you down. You can barely see it, but there was a hole right up there in the top of the ceiling. They'd lower you down in there, and you stayed there for months in the dark. The place had to reek. You lived on bread and water virtually. Cold, damp. Only a man filled with the Holy Spirit could bear that. You and I would have gone mad. Still, he came out preaching the most important thing. Amazing. My guess is that if he was granted a last statement on the day that Nero beheaded him, who, by the way, was insane... If he was granted a last statement on that day, he may have repeated his priceless words from Romans 1, and you're going to hear that later. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Key word. The most important thing, if you missed it, is salvation. And saying it to someone else. Salvation isn't private. Saying it to someone else. Nothing in your life is more important than that, folks. Nothing. Without salvation, you're just dust in the wind. I know people who believe they are dust in the wind. Well, without salvation, you are. Every teacher you have had up here this year has preached this very same thing. Okay, well, if I hold up a short bios of these three teachers, some of them very popular and very rich, and if I compare them to what Paul and Silas and Barnabas did, well, let's go back. Okay, these guys did not see the Lord, did not hear the Lord, did not talk with the Lord. They were not instantly healed and filled with the Holy Spirit and not taught the gospel directly by Jesus. They did not do signs and wonders. They have done no miracles. At least they're not in here if they did. They were not stoned. They were not beaten with rods and whips. No prison doors flew open for them. And speaking of, they did not spend five years in dark, stinking prisons for preaching the light of Jesus. They did not write the brilliant letters that would become 
a third to half of the New Testament. And they never dreamed of raising the dead. And they certainly are not martyrs today. Church, do not mistake a flavored beverage, however good it tastes and feels, for real fruit. You can trust the book of Acts as written by Luke accurately, and he was accurate, as he authenticated the Acts of the Apostles in the Bible. Paul taught the most important thing, salvation, and he took it to the church of the nations. Boy, did he take it to them. He'd been chosen to do it. Now, here's one more thing. He is going to say, when you get into Romans, he's going to say, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Oh, there's an offensive word. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not reading anything with these authors about that. It's just all good. It's do whatever you want. The most important thing has a repentance component. You know what repentance is? It's that 180 that you do back into the light away from the direction you're going, which is death. Repentance is in that word salvation. It's a recognition that you are a mess. I sort of asked first service, is there anybody in here that's not a mess? I didn't see a hand go up. You'd be crazy to raise your hand. I think I might know some people who are, would be arrogant to raise their hand, but they would never come here to church, of course. We're all a mess. We just saw the stage production of Moses again on uh, the stage in Branson. It is the most fantastic. How many have seen Moses down there? Have any of you seen that show down in Branson? Okay, it's awesome show. It had a very high budget, extremely well-done effects. They just did a great job. But the thing about it is, after you see the fire burn the Ten Commandments, you know, into Mount Sinai, and then he takes the tablets, you know, out of the rock. I don't, there's a guy here, first service, who worked on that show and told me some of the ways they were doing that. Awesome. But Moses takes those tablets, you know, out of Mount Sinai, and he's carrying them. They actually are burned into the stone. It certainly looks like it. And you look at that, and we do what we always do with the Ten Commandments. I think I've been doing it since I saw the Ten Commandments as a kid in the 50s. Cecil B. DeMille. We always go, well, you know, uh, I saw that scene, and, you know, God had his reasons for doing the Ten Do-Nots. They're not all do-nots, but most of them are. God had his reasons. Paul says, no. You are slaves to the one you obey, especially if it's you. How many of you know who your own worst enemy is? It's you. Your will is your enemy. I look back and think, Man, I wish I hadn't done that. And then I go, oh, I was doing my will there. We all do it. Here's the thing Paul tells us. We almost always miss this. 
And it's this. Sin hurts us. Sin hurts us. We hurt other people. They hurt us. Do we not yet understand that God has done every possible thing to keep us from hurting ourselves? You know, the old seventh commandment of the ten is thou shalt not commit adultery. I have seen myself whole families wrecked by this. Parents, spouses, children, friends, churches. Everything changed for life when it happened. And sometimes, and I want to speak this compassionately, Sometimes because someone who had never been loved and did not yet believe in the most important thing, that person hurt everyone else. It was like shrapnel from a cannon. You got hurt. Everybody was wounded. Many never healed. It's that Destructive folks. It's that thing Paul preached. Some of you know this guy. Let me see how many hands of people who know this guy before I say his name. How many of you know? Okay, you had more first service. You're all probably younger. That's okay. It's all right. This is Glenn Campbell. He passed away back in August at the age of 81, and he died of Alzheimer's. And I just want to say, <clears throat> when I was a kid, maybe 15, and I didn't even know it at the time, but I was listening to dozens and dozens and dozens of hit records on the radio from, you know, Beach Boys, Elvis Presley, later on the Monkees, even did, a, did songs for, hit songs for Frank Sinatra that had a lead guitar part played by Glenn Campbell. He was on a team called the Wrecking Crew in Los Angeles. They were a studio band, and they were the best there was. If you had the money, that's who you called to do the backing tracks for your hit song, which you hoped was your hit song. He would later on become, oh, he was already one of the best guitarists in the world, but he later on would sell like 45 million records on his own when he became famous. He had four Grammys, he had a TV show, he had a double platinum album, on and on and on. This guy was a music monster in America, extremely talented. Now, that was all strange because he grew up dirt poor on a farm in Billstown, Arkansas. They were sharecroppers, very poor. His uncle bought him a $5 guitar at the age of four, and he began to play when he wasn't helping to pick cotton or gather crops. He began to play non-stop on that guitar. He was just one of those people that was born to play. I don't understand people like that, you know. I can't do that. He was born to play. No lessons. He played by ear. Never had a lesson in his life. 
He'd listen to a song on the radio and he could play it instantly. It's like, what? You know. But more importantly, most people did not know this, but he was raised in the Church of Christ. He was a believer. He went to Sunday school when he was a kid. Every Sunday. He knew the most important thing. He made a wisecrack one time to his pastor about Jesus drinking wine. And his pastor said, well, you know, Glenn, when you can change water into wine, you can drink it, man. That stopped, uh, I guess, that in its tracks. But when he became famous, what happens? All the demons of the famous descended on him. He had three failed marriages. He had uh, an affair with a very young country star that went all over the world. Every tabloid in the world printed it. He drank heavily with hits of cocaine to the point of addiction. He was addicted. Said he was. In 1981, he met and married a young woman named Kim Woolen. She's a southern girl, and she was a Christian. She knew about Glenn's problems, but she also knew that he too was a Christian, and she thought, of course, what? She could change him. She thought she could change him. She could not. Things got progressively worse. And oddly enough, Glenn said the worse things got, the more he prayed and read his Bible. And one morning in 1986 in Las Vegas, he fell out of bed and literally, he said, hit bottom. Knowing he was officially a dirtbag, he pleaded with God to save him from what had become a living hell. You think those people live the good life? Mm. After some failures, he began to turn and turn and turn and find victory in the word, including, guess what? The epistles of Paul. In 2011, after an absolutely stellar career in music, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2015, 2014. He went into a stage six memory care facility outside of Nashville. Now, I want to paint this picture for you. And his, the staff members at that facility said this. They were interviewed. He's in stage seven Alzheimer's care. He cannot put an English sentence together anymore. But several times a day, he gets up and goes to his window and says, Thank you, Heavenly Father. He is days from going back to the one that made him. He's back to that little child he came in here as in Billstown, Arkansas, with the addition of knowing the most important thing. You know, he died saved. He did. Almost nobody, I don't think anybody, reported that when he died. The most important thing was not reported. Can you believe it? In America, we would not report the most important thing. See, Paul carried the most important thing to the nations because he knew in your last breath of life on this earth, 
No one in heaven or hell gives a rip who you were in this life. No one. The only thing that matters is who you are in that moment. Who you are. Do you think Glenn Campbell has his Grammy Awards on the wall of his mansion? No, No, he does not. You're exactly right. He does not. All he cares about is seeing the face of Jesus forever. When do we get it? I knew a guy a few years ago, he had a PhD in math and physics. I swear to you, I think the guy thought when he died he was going to lecture God on the rules of physics. I mean, that kind of arrogance. The one who made you as a perfect little spiritual child. Now, I'm not talking about your physical body. We've all got complaints about that. But the one who created you as a perfect little spiritual child wants you back like that, except knowing the most important thing, salvation. Don't bother to take your cool with you. Nobody in heaven cares. Nobody in hell cares. You do not need it. I told somebody one time, when they see the face of Jesus, they're going to fall on their face for 10,000 years. It's true. Converted child. If you think I'm oversimplifying that, I want to draw your attention to a scripture. The words of Jesus. Now, he's probably culturally irrelevant too now. But he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Two key words. Children. And converted, that's how you go in the gate. Your certificates of attendance not going to mean a lot. Okay? Well, worship team, you can come on back up. Now, this is about the time when I lose all you guys when they're coming back up. You've already seen them this morning, okay? You know what they're going to do. I know them, you don't. Try to focus on this. This is, this is a really important thing. When you walk into the throne room of the king after you pass, and there's a million angels overhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, however that is in there, on your left, the heroes of the Old Testament, you know, Moses, Noah, Abraham, the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Samuel, and on your right, the heroes of the New Testament. Stephen, Paul, Bob talked about that. The apostles, the witnesses, the evangelists, the missionaries, the martyrs, people who died for the cause of Christ. People still are. This is not ancient history. This is now. And you walk in there, with your Jesus Light 5% real fruit juice book that you sell on Amazon, and you say, this is what I did with my life. If there's crickets in heaven, man, that's what you're going to hear. 
This does not add up. There are Sunday school teachers in tiny churches everywhere who have given their life to the gospel whose life meant way more than this. You know what Paul said? This blows my mind. Paul said, I am the least of God's people. I'm less than the least of God's people, Ephesians 3.8. The great apostle said that. How big a deal are you really? You know, the most important thing, salvation. We're going to close today with some more worship, then we're going to have a last word. You don't get away without a last word. Okay.